Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, practicing veterinarian, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. Tonight's another continuation of our Preventative Pet Healthcare series, an endeavor that I was inspired by because of the precipitative drop-off in veterinary medicine that we're seeing in well visits. You know, we were doing so well for so long that I think that we began to take it for granted. We did not do as good of a job at fully explaining the value in the yearly visit. It's a lot more than just immunizations. Immunizations are important, but there's a yearly examination for early screening, early detection of disease. There is stool analysis, heartworm screening, and of course there is immunizations, but you know people will just kind of call them the quote-unquote shots, you know, going in for shots, going to the vet for shots. And we just left it there. You know, we, we, we were in this really nice little comfort zone where it was a time before all the discount, you know, spay-neuter shot wagons, you know, the mobile places that pull up to gas stations and human pharmacies or brick-and-mortar places that they're just offering, hey, come in, we'll plug your dog full of shots and see you later and we'll do it really cheap, you know. And, of course, people went to that because I believe that veterinarians did not do a good job of really expressing and bringing across the true value of the well visit to the owners. And so, of course, they're not getting that same attention. They're not getting the same quality well visit at these other places. But we can sit back and moan about it all we want. It is what it is. They're there. They're here to stay. And so people that don't necessarily see what we're doing in a general practice being at the same, or let me say, let me, let's rephrase that. People going to the, the shot clinics, vaccine clinics, whatever you want to call them, people seeing them as the same thing that we do in the veterinary practice, you know, that's, that's what we need to, to clarify and sift through because it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. They are not really utilizing what we now know about vaccines, how long they last. The fact that there's geographic locations where basically diseases are not epidemic, pandemic, or whatnot, they may, they may be virtually non-existent. So in a general practice, we're going to tailor a vaccine protocol to an individual patient's not just geographic location, but also their lifestyle, we're going to give them a thorough physical examination. There's a lot more value to it than what they're getting over at the discount shot clinics or the wagons that pull up. But it's our job to get that message across, and we haven't done a good job of it. And that's why another big reason I embarked on this, because in my practice at this point in time, we are educating owners and letting, letting them really know Okay, this is what I'm administering right now, and this is why. And it's really working. We're seeing better compliance than we've seen in years. So I, I wanted to bring this to a global audience because we get people from all over the country listening to the show. We also get people from all over the world. So I want to bring this message to you. we got two more episodes to go. We're going to talk about the non-core vaccines tonight. Non-core vaccines are vaccines that are really not ubiquitous in terms of disease prevalence everywhere. Like Parvo, for example, that's, that's going to be a core vaccine that's ubiquitous. Parvo's everywhere. 
We just talked about last week the FVRCP vaccine. That was for rhinotracheitis, Khaleesi virus, and panleukopenia. That's everywhere. That's a core vaccine. But we're going to talk tonight about the non-core vaccines for dogs and cats, ones that we may or may not administer depending on where your dog or cat may live, the lifestyle in which they live. And then from there, we decide, okay, is this particular immunization appropriate for this particular patient? So at any rate, tonight, we're going to do the non-core immunizations. The uh, first immunization I want to talk about since we were doing cats last week is feline leukemia. Feline leukemia is what's known as a retrovirus. Retrovirus means that they utilize a enzyme called reverse transcriptase. So rather than, usually the way things go is viruses replicate by utilizing their DNA and copying it, basically making a copy of it. Well, retroviruses do it a little bit differently. Retroviruses actually have a backward step where they reverse copy themselves. Not going to get too much into the biochemistry of that, but that's where the terminology comes from. The most famous retrovirus in the world is HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. Uh, We do see FIV in cats. Like in HIV with people, there's no effective vaccine for FIV, so we're not going to spend that much time on FIV. The best way to prevent FIV in cats is to keep them indoors. Don't let them go outside and be exposed because there is no effective vaccine. But for feline leukemia, it is somewhat related to FIV in that it is a retrovirus. It has a similar mode of how it behaves. It attacks the very immune apparatuses that help to protect us from infection. It actually goes after those actual tissues and organ systems. So feline leukemia is deadly. Your average cat after becoming infected with feline leukemia will typically die from it within three years. That's the average. I've seen some live longer, but you know, it's something that it's basically an, an, an imminent an imminent fatality with feline leukemia. So it's something to really take seriously and realize if your cat's at risk, do the immunization. It is a yearly immunization. We consider it non-core because not all cats are at risk. So what we'll generally do, what, what I do in my practice is we'll go through the kitten series of feline leukemia. That way there's some immunity on board. But if we have a strictly indoor cat, we're generally not going to re- recommend continuing to booster that vaccine year in, year out. Reason being is that because retroviruses, luckily, are very wimpy viruses in terms of their tolerance in the environment. They they don't survive or last well in the environment, so they need fluid transfer, cat-to-cat transfer, bite wounds, copulation, sometimes deep scratches, but not too commonly, intimate contact, cat-to-cat contact. And if there's no potential for cat-to-cat contact, for a particular patients, such as, let's say, a cat that lives up in a high-rise apartment in Manhattan. And that's a scenario that I wouldn't recommend continuing the booster series. The reason we get the that initial kitten immunity on board is that you never know. Some cats are good escape artists. They'll escape. They'll go out of the... Go take off, and they, they could come in contact with another cat, potentially do battle with them, get attacked, what have you, get bitten. They could get feline leukemia. At least we have some of that some of that juvenile immunity on board. But of course, if you have do you do have a cat that goes outside on a regular basis, you let them out every day or even once a week, 
then they that kitty should be getting feline leukemia. So that's going to be our criteria by which we're going to recommend feline leukemia. If your cat goes outside, it is deadly. Any new cat you're going to bring into the environment in, into your environment, if you do have an indoor cat that you're not regularly vaccinating for feline leukemia, get that cat feline leukemia tested before letting them into that environment because the indoor cat that's not getting regular immun- regularly immunized is going to have a naive immune system too and it's going to be susceptible to feline leukemia. Very effective vaccine, by the way. So that's our non-core feline or feline immunization. In canines, we have a few of them. So let's start with leptospirosis. Now, leptospirosis, I'm actually no longer considering a non-core vaccine. Leptospirosis is transmitted in the via the, the urine of squirrels most commonly. And leptospirosis has a unique ability to be able to survive in the environments in fresh standing water. So ponds, lakes, puddles, areas like that. And so basically... Anywhere there's squirrels, I'm going to recommend leptospirosis. Anywhere there is fresh standing water, lakes, ponds, puddles. I mean, we're talking about scenarios just about everywhere. I I don't know of any place that doesn't have squirrels and some fresh standing water around. Uh, Maybe maybe if you live in the middle of like the Mojave Desert, perhaps that would be a place where maybe we're not going to recommend leptospirosis for a dog. But anywhere else, I mean, anywhere anywhere I've lived, there's been squirrels. I've lived in. I lived in um, in the United States. I grew up in New Jersey. Squirrels everywhere. Here in Florida, squirrels everywhere. Went to veterinary school in University of Illinois. Squirrels everywhere. Everywhere I know of, there's squirrels. And if there's squirrels, there's potential leptospirosis. And certainly the biggest risk is squirrels and fresh standing water. Dog laps it up, gets their feet wet, licks their feet. That's how they get leptospirosis. Causes liver and kidney failure. The bacteria that causes leptospirosis, it's... Um, attacks specifically the liver and kidneys and 50%, it's a very high mortality rate, 50% of of patients that get infected uh, will typically die even with aggressive intensive care treatment. So wouldn't take that one lightly. It's no longer a core vaccine. I discussed, I I wrote an article recently about, um, you know, the importance of immunizations increasing with the urban sprawl we have going on here in Florida where you know, at least this area of Florida, there's a big building boom right now. And so we're increasingly encroaching into wild habitats. And as a result, we're seeing a lot more of, of these diseases, specifically leptospirosis. When I first moved here in 2004, it was like virtually non-existent. I was not vaccinating for it. The only the only pets I vaccinated for it were the, the snowbird people who, you know, spent uh, the hot summer months here up in, you know, say New Jersey, New York, or somewhere in the Midwest, but came down here for the winters, best of both worlds kind of thing. See, we call them snowbirds. Um, Snowbird pets, yes, I would do lepto for because most of them were living in uh, lepto endemic areas. But now it's endemic here. It's on the rise. And uh, I've seen two cases in the last month, which that's just unheard of, but it's happening. So that's leptospirosis, a non-core, you know, classification, I guess, technically, but I, I do believe most veterinarians are considering it a core vaccine at this point. But I put it in the non-core talk because <clears throat> it's a it's still one that a lot of folks don't have a familiarity with, but it's a very important vaccine. Let's talk about Lyme disease. Lyme disease has a, an effective vaccine against it. Lyme disease is 
caused by a bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi. Borrelia burgdorferi is carried by a, a little tick called the Isodi species tick. A lot of people know it as the deer tick. <clears throat> Where I start first started practicing medicine, uh, Long, Long Island, New York, there was a ton of this. I diagnosed, diagnosed five to seven cases of Lyme diseases a month when I practiced in Long Island. So we did recommend the Lyme vaccine there. It's a non-core, but that was, that, that was and remains a hotbed of Lyme. Well, Lyme has now spread its way significantly you know, west to the Midwest. We're also seeing it south here now, as, as far south as, as Jacksonville, Gainesville. We're seeing some cases. We're not seeing it significantly yet in my area, but I think that day will come. As for right now, it is not a considered a core vaccine. Uh, again, for snowbirds that spend half their year in Long Island, yes, I'm going to recommend absolutely getting the Lyme vaccine. I have one particular client who does a lot of uh, – Golf. She's a golf pro. She does golf camps for children up in Lake George, New York. Another uh, Lyme disease hotbed. So she vaccinates all her dogs because they go to Lake George with her. All of her, all of her doggies. So that's Lyme disease. Lyme disease specifically is going to cause severe illness. The animals get very sick. You know, we're talking dogs specifically. They get really ill. They are severely depressed. They often spike very high fevers. They often have muscle and joint pain. They often don't want to eat. I mean, they look just just flat out. Very recognizable. A lot of these guys come in with fevers of like 105. The nice thing about Lyme disease is it's very treatable. But I would do the immunization if you're in a Lyme-prone area because of the fact that, yes, it does respond favorably to a four- to six-week course of an antibiotic, but do you want to be in a scenario where, first of all, your dog gets that sick, secondly, where you got to treat them four to six weeks with an antibiotic, and thirdly, Lyme can go into a chronic phase where it can be hidden away in a lymph node, and you can see it again later on down the road. So, you know, I'd say don't take the risk. Get the Lyme immunization. I want to talk about Bordetella. Bordetella is an intranasal. Well, okay, there's an injectable and an intranasal. I like the intranasal better. The dogs don't love it. I think they'd prefer to get a shot, but you got to shoot that thing up a nostril. Bordetella is the equivalent to whooping cough in people. In fact, it's Bordetella bronchoseptica, the human variant that causes whooping cough. That is something that made very people very, very, very ill. We're not really seeing much whooping cough in people anymore, but um, I believe that's in large part because of an immunization program. But uh, we do see kennel cough quite a bit in dogs. It's uber common. Usually dogs are not going to die from it, but very often you find yourself having to treat them with antibiotics. They spike big fevers or lymph nodes are big. They're very ill. They have this hacking, really nasty, gagging-type cough. Uh, I generally going to recommend Bordetella for dogs that are regularly in contact with other dogs. Those are our most Bordetella-prone animals. You spend time in boarding kennels, dog shows, go to the bark park, doggy daycare, kenneled regularly if you have people that travel quite a bit. That's going to be a scenario where you're going to want to do Bordetella. Uh, you know, it's such a safe vaccine. I don't see any downside to doing it. It is given once a year, by the way, as is Lyme is once a year, as is leptospirosis. But I am going to recommend that, uh, you know, for 
Again, any dogs that are regularly around dogs, groomery, dogs that are groomed regularly, going to recommend it for them too. You got a super sheltered dog that never is in contact with any other dog. Could they still get kennel cough? Sure. Their risk is overall quite low. Not typically a fatal disease. Probably wouldn't go go with go with it for a dog like that. But at any rate, that's Bordetella. Now we have another we talked about parainfluenza as part of that DHPP combination vaccine for dogs as a core vaccine. Well, there is a different disease called canine influenza. Canine influenza, it it was it was actually in a lot of cases quite deadly. It made dogs very ill. There was an outbreak back in 2007 through 2000, and we saw some sporadic cases over the next or sporadic but contained outbreaks over the next couple of years. We still see it pop up or pop up from time to time. Interestingly, with canine influenza, we see it most commonly with greyhounds. Uh, so, so my suggestion would be any greyhound. I'm talking the large standard greyhounds should probably get it. I would do a, a canine influenza immunization. I don't even carry the vaccine in my clinic. I only see maybe, you know, in total, uh, four or five greyhounds that are patients of mine. So, you know, I generally will will recommend it for them. Special order the immunization for just those patients not really recommending it as a general protocol but just I would google canine influenza it can be a pretty pretty nasty disease but I actually never saw a case that wasn't a greyhound for some reason that breed seems to have this particular predisposition to that particular disease and we don't know exactly why but at any rate that is another non-core that's a very non-core vaccine now there's a lot of there there's some other vaccines out there that I just I don't think are warranted as far as my time or presented them to you because they're just they're just stupid to vaccinate. There there's keep keep an eye out for these unscrupulous and, and again there most veterinarians are very very good people they're not looking to be unscrupulous or harmful in any way but there's there are some unscrupulous ones out there and i would say the the discount shot clinics are probably the worst for this because they make their sole money on shots and doing a lot of them so they're not going to really be as discerning in what they do and don't give your pet and i think they're going to be the most likely to be doing these again stupid immunizations from my perspective so there's coronavirus it, it does exist for dogs i would not do it Coronavirus just causes mild, you know, case of diarrhea. That usually it's usually self-limiting. You don't even end up at the vet. They're not going to die from it. They're barely even going to get sick from it. I would not be vaccinating for coronavirus. The other one I would not be vaccinating for, and I just can't believe a vaccine even exists for it, is Giardia. Giardia is a protozoal parasite that we can see dogs get, and they do commonly get it. But a, the vaccine doesn't work, <laughs> and b, it's such a treatable disease and such a non-life-threatening disease. I I would not be vaccinating a dog for Giardia. I, I can't believe the FDA allows an immunization to be even out there for it because, again, it doesn't work. You know, the the company that came out with it, I'm not going to name names because, you know, they probably have much deeper pockets than I do, but that company's known for, you know, if there's a disease, they got a vaccine for it, and they're going to be the first one to put it out. <laughs> um, speaking of the same company, I believe they're the ones that also make the FIV vaccine. Remember I said earlier, FIV, feline immunodeficiency virus, like in people, does not have an effective vaccine. That holds true uh, to this day, even though this company has an FIV vaccine. It's not been proven to work. I can't believe that, again, they're allowed to sell it. And I, I 
Can't believe even further that the vet's even giving it, but apparently it, I hear it from time to time that a cat's getting immunized for FIV. Don't do it. There's no point. Silly. So, you know, that's pretty much uh, all of our immunizations covered in a nutshell. Non-core immunizations we covered tonight. I hope everybody comes away from all the immunization information a little bit wiser and, and really understanding why we're giving these immunizations, what the purpose of them are, and, and, and why they're important. You know, we're not just plugging your dog with shots and saying, okay, thank you, pay me. You know, it's not, it's not like that. These are very important, important vaccines. <clears throat> and then uh, the non-core vaccines are important as well, but they're just not necessarily appropriate for every pet. So think about that. We, we definitely don't want to over-vaccinate if, if it's not necessary, but we don't want to under-vaccinate either. We're going to wrap things up as far as the Preventive Pet Healthcare Series. Next week will be my last episode on this topic. Then we can move on to other things. I'm looking forward to that, actually, because <laughs> this is such a commitment in terms of the amount of information I had to get across to you. I did, you know, it's almost it's almost like I didn't realize how much information there really was that I that, that I needed to get out there. But it's a lot of information about the yearly well visits. And case in point, we we there's so much information. You need to know these things. People need to know these things. My my clients need to know these things. The pet owning world needs to know these things. So I was happy to do it, but at the same time, there's a lot of other things I like to talk about and I'm looking forward to talking about. So one more episode next week. I will call this one the mother of all preventative pet health care. It's going to be heartworm screening and prevention in dogs. And we're going to touch on cats with that disease as well. A lot more cats have it than people realize. It is not technically the definitive host for cats, but they can get a certain form of it. I'll discuss that next week, and I will talk to you at that time. Wrap up the pet healthcare series and then move on to talking about other things. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate your time as always. Caring about what I have to say. Take care, folks. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.